Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Okay. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Shemez Varani. Shemez is the Vice President at Center Court Developments. Shemez, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Um, Shemez, why don't we start, you can tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what's your background, and how you got started in real estate. Uh, sure. So my upbringing in real estate really started as a child, uh, where I think I got nurtured into having a passion for real estate. Uh, growing up in Calgary, Alberta, which is where I was born and raised, my family immigrated from East Africa in the mid-70s, and I grew up in a family where we didn't have a lot, but my parents were smart with their money and saved as much as they could, uh, working pretty much minimum wage jobs. And ultimately, after a number of years of savings, we're able to buy a investment property, which at the time I think was no more than forty or $50,000 all in. So I remember as a child uh, going with my dad to mow the, the lawn and shovel the sidewalk and pick up the rent checks uh, every month. And, and I have that vivid memory in my mind and and that kind of carried with me through my entire childhood and into my university years. Uh, when I knew going into university, I wanted to focus on business as an area. As I kind of went through the business school process, I realized that that real estate was really where my my passion and my my interests lie. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of direct recruiting from universities and business schools into the real estate world. So I took a path into investment banking and finance after I graduated from from Western University. And I did a few years in a rotation in investment banking at a large U.S. investment bank. After a couple of years in investment banking, I realized that I really wanted to follow my passion, my calling, and what I thought I was most interested in, which was real estate development. And so I joined my family business in 2007 in Calgary, which is now a mid-sized multifamily apartment portfolio owner, property manager. Uh, for those that are familiar with Calgary in 2007, they would know that was about the worst possible time I could have made that right. made that foray, made that jump. But yeah. uh, actually, going through a difficult period for a couple of years in Calgary was really informative to to my entire sort of focus and 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 evaluation of real estate as an investment strategy. Created, I think, a lot of conservative outlooks and worrying about the downside and and letting the upside protect itself. So. You know, I joke about how it was a bad time to come in, but I actually think it was a blessing in disguise to come into a challenge environment. But after a couple of years added in Calgary and the market effectively shutting down, I realized that there wasn't a long term play in staying in Calgary and staying on that in, in the development market because it you know had shut down for it ultimately was about four years until things started to pick up a couple of years ago. So in that period of time, I decided it would be a good time to go get my MBA. Uh, mm. So I moved to New York and went to Columbia Business School and did the MBA with a focus on real estate development. Mm. Uh, and that was a really interesting experience to be in New York City, first of all, the uh, real estate capital of the world, to be at a school that had a focus program on real estate and a lot of like-minded individuals around me. And what I realized there was that my passion really lie in development, uh, specifically. I mean, there's many areas that one can get involved in real estate, but yeah. development, the act of creating, uh, the act of going through everything from site acquisition to turning, turning the key over at the end, was really what interested me and excited me in real estate. Uh, so knowing that and knowing that I had a good group of friends and, and an amazing opportunity to, to look at Toronto as a market to focus on, uh, specifically because when I graduated from Columbia in 2000 and, uh, late 2010, uh, the New York market, the U.S. market was still in a pretty difficult environment, but Toronto was, was, uh, was having a great, great, 
great year and and then subsequently had a number of great years following that so uh, how i got in touch with andrew hoffman here at center court is actually a funny story a friend of mine who worked in the industry in toronto uh, works for a large capital provider i i kind of gave him my wish list of what i would like to find in a in a uh, ideal scenario of being in a company and that wish list was i wanted to work with as somebody who I thought was incredibly bright, I wanted to work in an environment that was a small environment, so it would give me lots of upward mobility opportunities. I didn't want to work in a family-oriented real estate development company, which for those that don't know, a lot of the development companies in the city are family-oriented because for obvious reasons you can't compete with, uh, with, with family members. And I wanted to go somewhere that had access to institutional capital and could do big, large, interesting deals. And so that was my wish list. And, That's uh, it. That's all. Yeah, just, yeah. A, just a small few <laughs> items. And uh, as I gave very him that specific. list, he said, uh, you know, good luck. Like, I know everybody in the city, but that list is very specific. That being said, I know of this gentleman, Andrew Hoffman, who, you know, recently left Menkes. And Andrew was the COO for Menkes and was at Menkes for 20 plus years. And uh, he said he's recently left. And I know he's got uh, some really good capital partners and really good uh, development experience. Here's his email address. Why don't you reach out? So I sent Andrew a cold blank email and just said it wasn't blank. I, I put something in it, but I sent him an email <laughs> that said uh, something to the effect of, you know, I'm going to be in Toronto in the next couple of weeks. Would love to introduce myself and learn about what you guys are doing at Center Court. Fortunately enough, I don't know why he did this, but he responded and gave me a slot of his time. And um, as they say, the rest is history. I had a really, really positive first meeting with him and um, and actually at the time, he wasn't looking to hire at the time. So this would have been early 2011, just before we launched Peter Street Condos. He was just gearing up to launch that project. I think there was one employee in the company, and I met him after he had just hired that employee. And I said to him, listen, I think I'm going to add a lot of value. I think I can be a great uh, long-term uh, partner in this business and help you grow it. Um, just find a spot for me. You know, I'll, I don't care about what you can offer at this point in time. Just find a spot for me because I really want to get involved. And I had a really good feeling about him and about what he was doing and his vision for developing center court uh, into what it really is today and hopefully mm -hmm. what it'll be 5, 10, 15 years from now. So uh, funny enough, he said to me, I'd like to put you in the sales center, but there's a sales manager that's running the project, a gentleman by the name of Johnson Chang, who, who Andrew, I know you know, and yep, he said absolutely. he's yep. going to be managing this project and if I'm going to bring anybody on, I'd like him to meet you and, uh, and interview you and bring you on board. And I had that meeting with Johnson and the, I guess the ironic part of that story and what I'm really getting at is Johnson is now our sales manager on Grid Condos, the project that we're here to talk to you about, which is now uh, four, and, four and a half years later. So Johnson, in some ways, I always joke, gave me a starting point in, in the Toronto real estate industry. And uh, we've now come full circle to be able to work with him again and really excited to work with him again on Grid Condos. So. To answer your question, that's how I got to uh, the seat that I'm in right now. <laughs> that's that's a great, great story. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Um, you're obviously very passionate about what you do and very, um, very focused on you know your your career and 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 your building Centercord into a first class development company. Um, what are you specifically most passionate about? What what excites you the most about real estate or or about building condos? In Toronto today, what what uh, what excites you? You know, what really excites me is what's happening in the city, and I think there's nothing like what's happening in downtown Toronto today. Uh, like I said, I lived in New York just prior to being in Toronto, and I lived in Manhattan and mm -hmm. saw the vibrancy of of New York City. 
and and learn to appreciate urbanism. I'm an urban urban guy by nature. I live a five minute walk from our office. I just sold my car and don't have any intentions of ever buying another car until nice. unless I family requirements <laughs> require me to. Great. Uh, but I yeah. I believe in great cities, and I believe in Toronto is and is becoming even more so a great city. So I. Yeah, as cheesy as it may sound and as sort of uh, marketing fluff as it may sound, I get geared up just walking the streets of the city and seeing everything that's happening, whether it's a center core project or another developer's project. Just the the amount of activity that's coming to this to this city and to this specifically to the downtown core and center court. For those that don't know, we focus really exclusively on high rise condominium development downtown Toronto. And what excites me is that I know that every one of our buildings is going to bring hundreds of new residents to the streets. I mean, Peter Street, which just completed and occupied at the end of last year yep. into this year. You know, I've, we, our office is down the street. My, my apartment is just on route. So I walk by the site. I've been walking by it for the last four years. And just to see how much that building has changed that corner, the vibrancy, the number of people on the street, knowing neighboring businesses and talking to them about how much that building alone, just 429 units in one project. You know, there's obviously many others in the entertainment district, but just seeing the impact that really has had on the city and building the city, that excites me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I told you I worked in finance once upon a time and finance I found to be interesting in a different way, numbers and, and, and analysis on a spreadsheet and kind of making high level decisions. But you never saw the tangible outcome of your work. You mm -hmm. never saw a physical product that, you know, that identified that you could identify to as being something you worked on. But right. the feeling of seeing a condominium from, you know, we buy it site and it has to go through zoning and we have to take it through sales launch, but to see it actually come to life over time, that really energizes me and excites me. And it's, you know, it's back to that natural interest I had as a child, just wanting to see things get built and, and developed. And I just find it to be an incredible amount of fun. You know, it's not without its challenges, like any job, yeah. any business, but uh, but certainly the end product of being able to be a city builder and create, you know, an impact on the skyline and create an impact on communities and neighborhoods. That's really exciting. You spent some time in New York. How do you everyone always wants to tr compare Toronto with New York? What's your take on that? Are we becoming are we, you know, is a Manhattanization happening? Are we on track to become what? Manhattan is today eventually or do you see them as totally different city? like well, how do you see that yeah I you know I actually um, I see them as very comparable in the sense that if you think about Toronto and you think about the core area of Toronto I mean obviously Toronto physically is not Manhattan it's not an island and it uh, it doesn't have the borough structure that Manhattan has but that said if you look at the core downtown Toronto and I mean call it the water up to Blur Street and maybe Jarvis to Spadina that core area the density that's coming into this core and the number of skyscrapers and the, and just the density of sites being approved in that core is very comparable to Manhattan. And and what really makes Manhattan is not one or two buildings, not any particular location or neighborhood. It's the, the it's the amount of people. It is really the eyes on the street, as Jane Jacobs said once upon a time. It's really the vibrancy of the streets and the energy that it creates because you just have so many people living in confined spaces and just creates vibrancy. And I think the core of downtown Toronto obviously is not anywhere close to where Manhattan is today, but uh, going to Columbia, one of the things we often studied was the history of Manhattan. And what a lot of people are surprised by who've been to New York in the last five years is if you actually look back 20 plus years, call it prior to the Rudy Giuliani years, Manhattan wasn't a desirable place to be. And mm -hmm. it, wasn't a, it was an unsafe place to be. There wasn't a lot of development activity happening. It was somewhat a city in, 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 a, in a rut. And after it got its sort of policy straight, cleaned up the streets and opened up to sort of more foreign investment, which is something that's comparable to Toronto, uh, it 
it boomed over the 90s and 2000 period up until sort of the recession, uh, actually, and, and the 80s. Uh, New York really just blossomed. Manhattan really blossomed. And mm-hmm. I think that's a very comparable story to what, excuse me, what we're seeing here in Toronto today. Um, Toronto up until just, I think, this last last month from the period of, call it the financial crisis in uh, in. 2009 until just again a couple months ago Toronto had more high-rise condominium development or residential development than New York and that Mm -hmm. really surprises some people Mm -hmm. Um, and Toronto actually had the third most in the world outside of you know Shanghai and I think New Delhi in India Mm -hmm. so the the amount of activity that we're seeing in Toronto is truly remarkable it's truly world-class and uh, and you know I often say to people I think Toronto is maybe 20 years behind New York and they they laugh at that but I think if you think about where Toronto in that core area that I defined is today versus where Manhattan was 20 years ago. It's not that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, huge development going on everywhere, as you said. Are you concerned at all about overbuilding? Do you feel like there's a condo bubble potentially forming? What's your opinion on that? So I'm always concerned. I mean, I'm always concerned with anything that can have a negative impact on on our business and our developments. Um, so concern is something that we'll always have, even through the good times and obviously through the bad Am I concerned that we're building too much product in the city? Right now, I'm not. And the reason I believe that is if if you look at the housing market as a whole, single family, mid-rise and high-rise, and you look at the total number of completions that have, that have occurred in the city uh, over the last decade, so call it its natural development rate, or, which has been absorbed, and we all know there's low vacancies on product in, in the market today, whatever category of housing mm-hmm. you look at, that total number of housing units has stayed around 40,000 a year. It stayed in a very tight band year after year after year, even through the last five years where people seem to believe we're in an overbuilding environment. What's changed is the composition between single family and high rise condominium. So where single family has dropped, high rise has filled, uh, filled the demand in behind it. But it hasn't on a combined basis actually exceeded our normal sort of Toronto averages. So the city continues to churn out roughly the same amount of housing. What it's what it's doing is changing the product type. And really, this is all a result of the provincial greenbelt legislation that's limited the amount of new low-density, low-rise development. Also, I think the natural urbanization of downtown is a machine that sort of, a snowball that sort of feeds upon itself and grows and grows and grows. And as more people move downtown, it becomes more vibrant and more livable. Mm -hmm. But anecdotally, I mean, I look at Peter Street condominiums, largely uh, purchased by investor buyers for uh, for rental housing. We completed the project in early January, uh, sorry, yeah, late January of this year. And by the end of February, the building was substantially occupied. That's 429 units that were rented out. You know, when I talked to agents or investors who bought in the building, it was a matter of days uh, or a week or two at most to rent out their units. So Mm -hmm. that's in an area where entertainment district that we haven't seen any sort of development activity greater than that in the city. And there was that sort of absorption. So today, here and now, all the products that are getting delivered, all the condos, you ask anyone that's actively renting uh, condos in the market as a renter or a landlord, and vacancy rates are incredibly low. Product rents very quickly, and there's demand. There's natural demand. People, lights are on. People are living in it. It's not like Vancouver that some say you know people don't actually live in these units. All of the units in the city are are occupied. Right. And when you project that outwards, you don't really see a significant increase. Like we're not going to deliver a batch of units this year or next year that's inconsistent with what we've done in the past few years or the f- years following. So it's pretty consistent. Our, our city has an interesting way of uh, regulating itself. It's becoming more and more difficult for developers like us to find good sites and develop them. So, so when I look at the statistics, 
And all of this, I should say, is really coupled with the strong demographics of the city. So without the incredible immigration that, you know, we always hear the 100,000 a year statistic of new, new people coming to Toronto. Toronto, I think, is, is a winner. I mean, the city itself is going to win long term and, and short term. And as long as it continues to attract that, that number of people, we're going to need the housing to accommodate people. Mm-hmm. And the low vacancy rates are showing us that. So concerned, yes, uh, because I'm just concerned by nature. And that's my, that's my outlook. You should be concerned. Otherwise, you're sort of blind to risks. But we're very optimistic. And we're, you know, we're bringing a project to market in a matter of weeks. And we're actively looking to do, to do more land acquisitions to continue development. Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about CenterCourt? It's a relatively young company, as you touched on a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about CenterCourt as a company and the track record so far, and, and how has CenterCourt been so successful in such a short period of time? Sure. So CenterCourt at its foundation is actually a very simple business outlook and business principle, which is the name CenterCourt actually is derived from the center court in tennis matches. So, you know, all the action happening on the center court. And the idea behind that is we're believers in urbanism, we're believers in cities. And if you look at all of our projects and what we've done and what we're going to do, it's going to be focused on the downtown core of the city. Mm -hmm. So our simple philosophy is Toronto as a city is an incredible city in terms of what's going on economically, socially and otherwise. The the core of all that activity, the, the knowledge-based economy of the city and the growth of the city is centered around the core of the city. You look at you know, all the, 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 the office buildings in the financial mm-hmm. district and otherwise that are creating incredible jobs and creating incredible vibrancy and then the supporting activities of development like us. You know, we, we really believe that the amenities of the city are focused on the core. We also believe subway and transit. So you want to be in close proximity to subway and transit. And we're, we're believers that in 10, 15 years, we're not even going to talk about parking in condominium projects anymore, just like New York, where they, they right. don't offer that as a, as a standard offering. Right. So, so back to what sort of drove Center Court. You know, Andrew Hoffman created it, uh, created the company about five years ago with the idea of wanting to focus on high-rise residential condominium in downtown Toronto. That, again, is a belief behind the city and what's happening in the city. Wanting to stay very focused on residential development because, you know, and as a developer, we have choices of whether we want to do office development, industrial development, retail development. Residential on its own into city is such a massive industry that we thought, you know what, as we grow, being focused and being, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sort of set in our ways of what we want to do in terms of development will serve us well because this down, the downtown condo market is incredibly complex and, and difficult to navigate for a lot of people. So, we thought the more we do, the more we'll become experts in it. And, and really with the goal of being the preeminent uh, development company in downtown Toronto focused on high-rise condominiums. Um, so, so that was kind of the origins of Centre Corp. In the four years since its, uh, since its inception, we've done an incredible amount of activity. We've actually become, in just that short period of time, one of the top developers in terms of quantity of units and success of projects in the city uh, in, in the downtown core. So we just for those people who don't know, maybe you could just highlight the, the projects sure. that you have done. Yeah. So our first one, as I mentioned, was Peter Street Condos, a 40 unit, uh, 429 story, uh, 40 story, 429 unit project on the corner of Peter and Adelaide mm-hmm. that we launched in early 2011 is now 100 percent completed, 100 percent sold out, uh, registered and, and fully occupied. Uh, in late 2011, we brought a project to market called Karma Condos which many of your listeners may be familiar with at Young yeah. and College, 50 stories, 500 units. And we sold that project out in a matter of weeks and uh, started construction later the following year and are now pouring the 14th floor and getting ready for occupancies to mid to late next year. 
So that was an incredibly successful project. Again, could not have expected a better market response and mm -hmm. the ensuing construction has been very positive. Following that, a few months later, we launched Index Condos in early 2012 that, uh, at Bay and Adelaide, or more specifically at Temperance and Shepherd, 54-story, 798-unit project, uh, which had an incredible market uh, absorption in kind of a new location that many hadn't done a residential development project there before. Yes. And that project, uh, again, sold out very quickly, started construction uh, shortly thereafter. We're 100% sold and uh, doing the 26th floor uh, this, this week. And we'll be completing that project by the middle of next year. And uh, <clears throat> and most recently, at early 2014, we brought a project to market called Core Condos at the corner of Dalhousie and Shooter, fairly close to Grid Condos, um, just east of Young. And that project, 24 stories, 221 condominium units, and we are uh, we're 100% sold out there as well, and under construction uh, with an estimated completion two years from now. So. What really excites me about our story to this point has been, you know, from, from your angle, Andrew, that you would see and the market would see, it's really the absorption on sales. We've been 100% sold out on all four of our projects yeah. uh, in a very short period of time. So the markets responded very well to the locations, the suites, the price points, the amenities, the buildings themselves. But what's even more exciting to me is the delivery beyond the sales. So, you know, a lot of people in the sales world talk about, you know, you got to worry about pricing, location, and and the rest, I, I also think it's important to, to think about the execution. And without naming names, there's so many projects in the city that have been delayed by two, three, four, yeah. five years. What, what gives it's us a big a great, problem, yeah. It, it's, it's a problem that a lot of investors and would-be condo investors look at. And, and they're concerned and they're worried that they're going to purchase this condo, supposed to be ready in three, four years. And then it drags out into, you know, you hear the horror stories, five, six, seven, you know, in some cases, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's a problem that a and lot of investors... Your money's tied up. The other thing yeah. is you're subject to increases in development charges and all host of other things in terms of your final costs. But for us, it's about you know taking that momentum that we got in sales and taking that right into construction. So in all four of our projects, within a year of our first sale, we've been 100% sold out and in the ground. So we've been able to create a great story behind all of our projects and delivery as well. And Peter Street is a perfect example with... You know, number of projects that launched around the same time that are nowhere near completion. We were fully closed, completed, zero development charge adjustments on the statement of adjustments. Just a really positive story. And I know you know that project well, Andrew, and you had yep. some of your clients in there. So I think overall a very positive story in terms of delivery beyond the sales program. Um, so that's our focus. And as we continue to grow, we're going to be selective in the projects that we take on. And, and what we do, we like to, you know, we have a, a lean team in t inside our office and we we like to be involved in all aspects, hands-on uh, in all aspects of, of all jobs. So we only want to take on as much as we feel good about. But you know, for the next foreseeable future, I'd say you know, we'd be bringing one to two projects to market every year and, and, and grow our portfolio that way. Let's shift gears and talk specifically about, uh, the, about Grid Condos, which is, of course, your latest project coming up very soon to Jarvis and Dundas. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit, like, what are the high-level key points that you want purchasers to know or investors to understand about what makes this project unique and why you're excited about it? So we were really very pleasantly surprised with the response that we received to core condos uh, early last year. And the market wasn't, I would say, on the new condo side as healthy and as robust as it feels like it is this time this year. So at the time, you know, for those that don't know, again, core is at the corner of Shooter and Church or Shooter and Dalhousie, which is only a probably three minute walk from the grid side, very close. They're very yep. comparable locations. Yep. And 
that project, we brought it to market and we sold it out in a matter of really three days. Yeah. And <laughs> it was a 221 unit project, but I feel like if we had 600 more units, we would have had just enough momentum and enough velocity. So we might let, have taken we, two more days. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe a week, but uh, yeah. uh, at the pace we were going, it could have been just that short. Yeah. And what it kind of brought to our attention is we love the location and and you know we knew that downtown just the east side of young hadn't received the attention that the west side had for so many years and if you do an aerial of toronto it's really interesting and you look at young street as a central corridor if you look at how the west was developed versus the east it's actually quite remarkable and it's one of those things that if you didn't know the city you'd ask yourself why is the east so underdeveloped relative to the west because proximity to the core is the same it's the same yeah and, you know, we believe that, but we didn't know because we were somewhat pioneering last year when we brought a project to market. There had been a lot of new condo activity. Now, in the subsequent 12 months, there's been a tremendous amount. And that's kind of the story that I'm getting to. When we launched Grid and had that amazing, overwhelming response, what we realized is the neighborhood, the area that, that, that Grid and that, that core are located in are really an amazing location in the city for all. There's a number of factors, but I'll just say one major reason. It's Ryerson University. Mm -hmm. And Ryerson University, for anybody that's looking at grid condos, they should really be thinking about what Ryerson University means for that neighborhood. Yep. And for those that aren't aware, Ryerson is, uh, from statistics I've read, the fastest growing major university in Canada. Uh, it, its roots 20 years ago were a small polytechnic institution. Today it's got 33,000 students across a myriad of, of, of educational programs. Yep. And, the, and the school has a, a massive angle towards growth. Their focus is on growth, growing out of province and out of country students and creating a true, truly global, truly well-recognized international university institution. And the, the Ryerson sort of campus is, is basically bound on the on this south uh, southeast quadrant is really where Grid's situated. So Grid is on the southeast corner of Dundas and Jarvis. On the northwest corner, Ryerson owns a parking lot. So literally Kitty Corning, just across the street, you could throw a rock at it if mm -hmm. you really wanted to. There, there's two parking lots that Ryerson owns that they've got in development for what they're calling their future uh, sciences building. Now. We've heard, and I don't have any sources to confirm this, and it's not public knowledge, but we've heard that that's a future medical school location. Nonetheless, whether it's a medical school or a sciences building, what's incredible about this location is you are literally in the Ryerson urban campus. Mm -hmm. And Ryerson, as it's grown exponentially, has grown its number of students, it's grown its number of programs, its number of faculty. But because it's an urban campus located in downtown Toronto, and because Ryerson's not a home building company, it's a university institution, they have not built student accommodations to go along with at the pace of growth of activity of their buildings so another program so it's left to other developers our, ourselves included to to create housing stock for for ryerson students so what's happened since we launched core there's been about you know two or three other projects that have come to market and had tremendous response tremendous absorption and it's just the beginning in my view i think the whole area dundas and jarvis i think today it's a great area i think tomorrow it's an even more exciting area there's activity happening on every single corner of the block that we're on. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, as we think about the the buyer of this proj project and the end user, we think it's largely going to be, and I'm not shy to say it because I think it's a great source of uh, success story in the city, investor buyers. I don't know why developers are nervous to talk about investor buyers. To me, they're a great partner to have in these developments. They bring yeah. they bring our projects to life. So we realize that this is largely going to be a building that, that, that accommodates Ryerson students uh, or Ryerson professors, faculty, administration, 
etc. There's also a number of other amenities. I know I focus a lot on Ryerson, but St. Michael's Hospital is uh, only a block away, and St. Michael's got a huge residency program. So again, they there'll be a lot of medical school school students, professors, etc. Um, George Brown is only a few blocks away. The Canadian yeah. Ballet, and uh, UFT, Ballet. UFT campus is really not that yeah, far away either. No, exactly. Yeah. And and you, you, it sounds like Ryerson. You know, I'm making it all about Ryerson, but you're you're two blocks away from Young Street. So yeah. you have all the amenities of downtown Toronto, but really even more kind of distinguishing about this site is is the fact that it's right on the doorstep. So so a lot of the thinking as we will come to market and as we will share it with you, a lot of the thinking behind the the project in terms of its amenities, in terms of its suite designs, in terms of its price point ultimately are designed with the notion of mind that it's going to be largely investor buyers purchasing units in this project with the idea of renting to Ryerson students or faculty or grad students. And, you know, when you kind of look at the relationship between the income that these units can generate and the cost of caring, which I think pricing as we as we come to market will be another key selling feature because it'll be, I think, a very well priced project and, and, and offer tremendous returns to uh, investors who are you know looking for cash flow relative to other projects in the city. You you can quickly kind of see how we've designed the building, suites, price point, amenities, etc. And just not to get into it too deeply, unless you want to talk about the amenity program. But one thing that we're doing uh, that I think is different than yeah. any other project in the yeah. city that I'm aware of is uh, creating what we're calling the grid learning center. So when we design a building and we specifically design the amenities, our goal at Center Court is to reverse sort of the industry trend of amenities being these areas and buildings that collect dust that nobody ever visits and that end up being a drag on the, the condo fees. They look it, good on a brochure, but no one exactly. ever actually sets them. Or, 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 or in, a, in an editorial or something like that. But nobody actually uses them and it ends up just being a drag on the, the condominium fees. Instead, what we want to do is we want to create an, an amenity program that generates excess rents, generates excess uh, value in the condos, that they're actually a selling feature of the building. So in doing that, we studied the Ryerson urban student. We studied sort of what the amenity is that they miss the most in their day to day. And we realized very quickly it was space, space to do work, space to collaborate, uh, space to do anything outside of being in their in their uh, in their program, in their classroom or being in their unit. And how we realized that was actually uh, Ryerson opened up a learning center on Young Street and uh, the old Sam, the record man site. They opened right. it up about three months ago. Yeah. And when we were thinking about grid and we were started getting into the early stages, we did a, a team trip over to the learning center because we thought, OK, this is a new Ryerson amenity. We'll learn something about the student and having no thought about the amenities at all. Just really just thinking about, you know, grid condos. Yeah. And so what did you find out? When we, when we went there, <laughs> what we were blown away by is two things. One that the learning center, which is kind of dubbed the 21st century library, looks nothing like the library of years past. It's not stacks and books and cubicles. It's open concept, beautiful space, really comfortable modular seating so you can work individually or in groups uh, or you can, you know, you can modulize it for however you really want to uh, learn. And so that was the first thing. It was kind of eye opening to see what the you know, 21st century uh, digital student, how they work. And it's always with a laptop or an iPad in their hand. There's no textbooks. There's right. no, you know, again, sitting in stacks or cubicles. Yeah. But what was really amazing is, and this was, I think, a couple of weeks after its opening, we couldn't find a spot to sit. Seven floors dedicated just to being this amenity, and you could not find a single spot in the entire place to sit. Like Seven floors. Students, wow. were, students were walking around aimlessly looking for places to sit. So then we said, this is really interesting. They just opened the doors and, and, and this is what's happening. So let's just kind of follow some students who don't get seats. So we followed them around and we noticed they went to coffee shops and they went to look at for seats in the Starbucks or the Second Cup or whatever the nearest coffee shop was. Right. You go in there again, fighting for seats. Yeah. 
So we realize these, these students are missing space. They don't have a place to work. They don't have an area to, to sit down and, and you know, open up their laptop or iPad and, and just work. Yeah. So what we decided is we're taking an entire floor of the building of grid condos, uh, about 6,000 square feet on the inside and uh, a significant amount on the outside and creating what, what is our sort of version of the learning center, bringing that Ryerson Learning Center experience into the building. And, you know, as we will bring this project to life, we'll release renderings and floor plans to show this. But, but essentially, it's going to have the same idea, which is to have a beautifully designed space that's really inviting for students to, to set up. There'll be workstations. There will be, uh, you know, just group stations. There'll be a cafe area. The idea would be if the condo corporation will allow it in, 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 in its final form to have it as a 24-7 operation. Uh, because again, students don't work nine to five, they work on their own schedules uh, and, and to outfit it with the best in technology, high speed wireless, internet, scanners, photocopiers, all the things that students need but don't have the money to pay for or, or ultimately have the space. Yeah. So the idea would be you're a student in the, in the, living in the building, instead of working in your you know, efficiently designed but still small suite with a roommate, uh, you just take your laptop, your iPad down to the learning center on the second floor and you're plug and play. You're right in there and that becomes your place of work. So that's that's really exciting that that whole concept. Yeah. In addition to that, we've got a really large fitness facility, which is important because students care about their health and 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 more importantly about looking good and, and attracting the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever <laughs> whatever their flavor is. And and uh, and so we've got a you know a large, very large gym that no student yeah. in there will have to have a gym membership. A couple guest suites because we realize that students uh, often have family and friends from out of town or out Mom of country. Mom and dad come to visit. From exactly. And if wherever. you're if you're a better student than I was, you want your parents to visit and you want to put them up close by. You've got that uh, yeah. amenity at your fingertips. Um, so yeah, so it's a really exciting amenity program that's uh, I think they just tie in very well to to the target market of the project. Yeah, and I think uh, again for the listener, um, what again what Shemez is is pointing out, and what makes Center Court really unique, and what makes Grid Condos really unique, is this concept of designing the building from the investor point of view, or designing the building from the uh, you know from the inside out, in the sense of uh, from the you know what rental income that you can generate from these units. Okay, then what type of unit do we have to design? What type of price point do we have to hit? So that we are giving something back to the individual investor who's putting their hard-earned money into these yeah. units, and and you know I think you need to be commended for that as a developer, and I hope more developers sort of take note of that approach rather than you know there's nothing wrong with it per se, but for the investor they're they're not really concerned about you know being in you know the most beautiful architectural design building or you know building like you said with all these amenities that nobody uses, but rather the investor is looking at their bottom line, they're looking at um, how much rent can this property generate for me and how much is it going to cost relative to the cost? And like you said, uh, what kind of amenities are in the building that are not going to be a drag on me and are not going to increase my maintenance fees significantly over time, but rather what kind of amenities could, could there be that will actually increase my rents or potentially could, you know, could ha- uh, put higher demand for renters to be in my building versus uh, another building? Exactly. And, and one point you brought up, uh, the idea of designing from the inside out and being focused on, again, you know, the end buyer who, who is our client, who is our purchaser, who, who may be our homeowner or may just be a, an investor owning to rent. But suites, suite designs and, and the way you plan suites, we, you know, there's kind of two schools of thoughts and there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot in between mm-hmm. in terms of how you design a great building. Uh, some developers choose to design 
the design of the outside of the building first and create uh, what they think is an architecturally significant building. You know, you can ask the question yourself whether you think it actually is, but nonetheless, they say, I want to create a great building, so let's create a great exterior design. Mm -hmm. That's one school of thought. And sometimes from that, what you end up seeing is all sorts of wacky designs of buildings, circular, curved, angled, different setbacks and terraces conditions, and just Mm -hmm. different things that, again, may, to some people, create uh, exciting architecture on the outside. And then they think about, okay, the suite's on the inside. For us, again, particularly in locations like grid condos where they are largely going to be investor purchasers, for us, it's important to start on the inside out. Suite design is the first place we start. And we always say to ourselves, and, and Grid is going to be a perfect example of that, uh, what is it that we want to get in terms of a suite mix in here? What do we want the floor plate to look like? What do we want the suites on each floor to look like? And then we create that ideal floor plate. And then with great architects, such as the team at Page & Steel, we create great exteriors to wrap around that floor plate. And, and I, you, I really don't think we're sacrificing anything on the architectural design for the interior. But, right. but if you start in the reverse order, you end up with suite layouts that aren't yeah. efficient or aren't, aren't focused on the target demographic. Or you get some good suites and some bad suites right. and everybody else, everyone wants to buy the same suites and then you're left over with these other suites. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a rumor going around already. You guys haven't released the plans, but there's a rumor going around that your plans are some of the best plans uh that I'd like we've you to ever seen to perpetuate uh, that rumor, certainly yeah. yeah we've ever seen downtown so excited to excited to see the full package and excited to share that with my um, clients and listeners um is anything else we we need to know about grid condos or um or uh or any other points that you you'd like to uh you'd like to touch on about the project uh, no, I mean, as you mentioned, we will be coming to market uh, and and sharing a little bit more of that information over uh, the, the the weeks and, and period ahead. Um, that said, that rumor that you just mentioned was started by me. That was you. Okay. I take full responsibility and actually I take a great deal of pride in sending that out to market. And I'm putting my personal stamp on it because, you know, I've, I've worked on uh, hundreds of suite designs now and I've got to say that what what Page and Steel put forward and what we work through as a team together on. Yeah. I really believe these are the most efficient plans that, yeah. that, that, that we've ever achieved. And, you know, the focus is going to be on how to create multiple sources of revenue stream. You know, all students typically will have at least one, maybe two roommates. So the design of the suites is going to be focused on that while still maintaining, as you mentioned, the low price point to allow mm-hmm. carrying costs to be low. Yeah. So I'm really excited. And, and, you know, all I would add is, you know, I, I appreciate, uh, you and the efforts you've made in the market. And I think you do a great job of informing your clients and listeners and having intelligent discussions like this one and putting informed opinions out there and being a great advocate for your clients. And, you know, for us, we just listen. That's all we have to do is really listen. You know, you mm-hmm. give us good insights. I listen to your podcast. I learn things from from your insights and, and your buyer's insights. And we just listen. And so our goal is if, if we listened as well as we think we've listened, that grid should be the success story of 2015 the project that everybody talks about and and wishes they had uh, uh, more allocation or more units to sell inside that project because uh, the feedback we've received so far is incredibly positive so i'm just really excited to bring the project to market excited to work on it again with you and Mm -hmm. and hopefully some of your listeners some of your clients will have an opportunity to purchase uh, uh, units at grid and and uh, really excited about the the next little while ahead Great. Excellent. Thank you very much. And yeah, one more thing I'd like to add too about you guys is, look, there's a reason why your projects sell out so quickly. Uh, your past few projects have sold out within you know, a matter of weeks or in the case of your 
last one, uh, core, you sold out, like you said, in like two days. And that's because there's a lot of value there. The investors see the value. And I think you're doing something again, which a lot of, I think the top developers recognize and do. And that is you're leaving money on the table. You're leaving money on the table for the individual investor so that the value is clear. The, the value proposition is clear. And, and, you know, you know, as an investor, if you're buying in a center court building, you're going to do really well. And so you guys, you put that value out there, the market responds very well and very quickly and your buildings sell out really fast as a result. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, keep doing that. Thank you. Yeah. We'll keep <laughs> doing that. We'll keep that. trying to. We'll keep trying to make you look good and make your clients make money. Because at yeah. the end of the day, you know, as I said, our goal is to be the best development company in the city. And the best development company in the city, in my view, has to think about who's buying the units and has to make sure that they do well as well. And if they don't do well, then they're not coming back to our future projects. And if they do well, they're going to be coming to all our future projects. So. To, to us, it's about creating a legacy, creating a, uh, a brand and, 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 a, and, a, and a story that we can carry to each project in the next. And if we're leaving a little bit of money on the table to allow the investor or your purchaser or your clients to do well, that's a great, that's a great thing. If we can you know, make it work on our end, which we've been able to do, uh, we're happy to do that and, and again, create that, uh, that story that you, you so clearly laid out there. Yeah, great. Um, not to put you on the spot, but one last question for you, to give you some, something to think about. Is there one question that no one has ever asked you yet about yourself or about your company or about the condo market, but that you wish that somebody would ask you? And what would that question be? That's a very good question. I'm a little bit stumped. If I had to think about a question that I'd want somebody to ask, ask, uh, ask me. I mean, I think we kind of touched on it. One thing that... Um, I don't know how it formulates in the form of a question, but one thing that kind of I guess, irritates me uh, in the market is, that's sort of perpetuated, I think, by a lot of developers as well, is uh, the sort of negative notion towards investor buyers. And uh, I find myself reading articles or interviews with other developers who are selling projects in competitive locations to us and projects that I know very well. And they still sort of perpetuate this belief that, again, there's different you know, buildings that have attract different demographics, but in large part, you know, efficient suites, downtown Toronto, a lot of the buyers are investors. And that's by reality of the fact that you buy today and you don't get delivery for four or five years. Very few end users will end up buying with that long-term duration. But for some reason, it's got this negative connotation on it. And I don't get it. To me, I really don't get it because I say to myself, there is a sophisticated group and it's a large group of investors in this city that for the last 20 years have helped support the condo boom. And, and trust me, without your clients and them supporting the projects, they don't get off the ground. And we have to pre-sell to get construction financing yeah. and move a project forward. Every project does that. And without their support, without their sort of long-term vision and realization that they share a lot of the principles I started off with in this podcast about yeah. what's what we're focused on in building cities, they share that vision. They share the excitement for Toronto in the long term. And they've done well financially as a result of it. They've helped build the city. They've helped support all of our projects across the, 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 the city. And, and again, are, I, I think have done very well for themselves as well. Yeah. But for some reason, there's this negative connotation. I'm not sure if it's perpetuated by the banks or it's perpetuated by other market participants. But it's like, oh, you've got investors in your building. Oh, that's a bad thing. Right. And I'm saying absolutely not. These are sophisticated sophisticated partners. We look at them as partners. We don't look at them, you know, yeah. as, as anything but some partners that help us bring this pro- these projects to market. Mm-hmm. So 
I guess the question that I don't get asked directly enough is, you know, what is your view on the investor demographic? And, uh, and also, I guess, tied to that is, you know, we know factually that there's a very small percentage of foreign investors in projects in the city, meaning people who live have permanent residency overseas, but buy units. That said, we do have a large ethnic demographic that buys in, in projects in Toronto. The Chinese community has been a very strong supporter of the South Asian community, the Russian community, the Persian community. I could go on and on. Yep. They, they have been strong supporters of, of, of projects in the past. And, and uh, to me, what's really exciting about that is that's a story of Toronto. It's a story of how Toronto has grown and how it's developed um, and how money has come in from other countries into the city by virtue of people moving here and moving their lives, moving their families, moving their businesses. And the fact mm-hmm. that these people continue to move to the city and support these projects and, and, and do well as a result of it, to me, is a great story to be celebrated. But for, again, for some reason, and I, I still don't know what that reason is, someone has to explain it to me, yeah. uh, that seemed as, it seems as a negative thing out there in the industry. So, you know, we take a different tone, as you gather from this podcast, versus I'm sure a lot of other people you've had in my yeah. seat. We don't shy around it. We don't beat around it. We, we know the reality and we're actually excited by it and proud of it. And we want to continue that. And mm-hmm. if it continues for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 more years, that's great. That's what we want to see. That means we've got a healthy, vibrant city yeah. and a lot going on. That's great. 100% agree. Um, Shemez, if people want to get a hold of you or if they want to learn more about Center Court Developments, what's the best way to uh, to reach you to do that? Uh, so if... If you wanted to learn more about grid condos, I would suggest reaching out to you, Andrew. You can you can give them all the information <laughs> yeah, that they absolutely. need. So that would be the best source of information for them on uh, on on the on the project. If they want to learn more about Center Court Developments, I would in, invite you to visit our website at www.centercourtdevelopments with an s at the end.com. Center spelled C E N T R E. One of these days, I'm going to get a much shorter website that we can market. But uh, there's a lot of information about us yeah. online, our projects, who's in the company, our philosophies. And and actually, uh, not to put a marketing plug at the end, but we've actually put together on our website our core principles of operating our business. And those aren't just fluffy PR or marketing pieces. Those are actually, we, two years ago, we went on a corporate retreat and we just sat around the fire for basically an entire day and said, we're going to create the greatest development company in this city and hopefully in this country. What are the principles that we need to operate by yeah. and that really would distinguish us as how we operate? And I'd encourage anybody who's interested to learn more about us to check out those principles. Uh, we take them into account in, in everything that we do day in, day out, and they really do define how we act as a developer and, and how we interact with our with our purchasers and with all stakeholders involved in the process. So uh, they can check that out. And uh if they wanted to reach out to me personally to talk about anything, again, you have my contact information and uh, welcome anybody sure. out reaching. Yeah. Great. Okay. Shamas, thank you very much for your time and hopefully you. we can uh, have you on the, again on the show soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.